Once again, back is the incredible WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. James Felton Keith, welcome everybody to Inclusionism. It is Sunday. It is 5.30. It's actually 5.34. Uh, welcome to my church, Inclusionism. And you were just listening to Anderson Pack asking, do we want to make it better? Which I think is appropriate for this place and this time. And our guest today, who will be 
Uh, Jess Regal, who's CEO of Motivote. If you're not familiar, go to Motivote, like motivate and vote, uh, .us, and check out what her and her team has going on. And we're going to interview Jess about the intersection of entrepreneurship and uh, women-owned businesses and politics and you name it, um, and transition that uh, at the hour with uh, Naomi Hollard, who is a Columbia student right here in the neighborhood, and she's leading up the Sunrise Movement. If you're not familiar with the Sunrise Movement, the Sunrise Movement is the movement that protested inside of the U.S. Congress and produced much of the Green New Deal. So things you may have been hearing about in the news and the media with regards to the Green New Deal, it comes from them. And so Naomi runs what I think is a pretty sizable group of activists. And I think that the contrast or the interaction between Naomi's group and Jess's group uh, will be hopefully uh, pretty interesting. Um, So that said, we're going to talk our heads off uh, and... As we get into that, I guess first things first is I'll let Jess introduce herself. It's really it's Jessica, right? My yeah, my given name is Jessica. Yeah, okay. When people say that, I think it's like my mom mad at me, so I go my <laughs> Jessica. <laughs> Jessica, what did you do wrong? Right. And I did pronounce your last name right. It's you Regal. Did. Okay. Yes, thank you. <laughs> I wasn't sure if I was doing it right because anyway, I'm usually looking for an A when I go Regal because I'm thinking about the old Buicks. Do you remember Buick? Yeah, Regals? yeah. And there's a movie theater chain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, all of that. <laughs> right. You all are all over the place. Clearly. Um, no, no relation. So <laughs> right, right to those folks. Oh, well, you know what? That makes me just uh, I guess hijack a bit more your conversation first before we get into this. Speaking about uh, namesakes. So today, I just realized earlier today when I was out doing campaign trail stuff for my congressional run, I realized that a a mentor of mine, Judge Damon J. Keith, uh, just passed away earlier today at 96. Uh, If anybody out there is not familiar with Judge Damon Keith, um, he's a federal judge uh, out of Michigan, uh, which is where I'm originally from. I was born and raised in Detroit. And anyway, Damon Keith presided over a lot of the trials for Watergate, for Nixon. He was a civil rights activist. He was a freedom fighter. Um, a portion of the law school at Wayne State University is named after him. And he was a really important mentor to me in the early 2010s. Gosh, it feels weird saying the early 2010s like it's its own decade. But um, he convinced me to be more activist in, in the fight for marriage equality and LGBT rights to be recognized and acknowledged, which I think at that time shocked me because, you know, he was just looked at as, at least per me, the grandfather of blackness and in that brand of activism. Um, but he was a very progressive thinker about inclusion in general. And uh, legal arguments that we would have, you know, in 2013, 2014, which seems like yesterday, were really sort of the beginning of how I think about inclusion in general, um, far beyond whatever diversity is. And Damon Keith, we are of no relation, which is really why I went on this rant, um, just like uh, Jess and the Regals. Uh, (laughs) 
or the mini. I don't. I don't even know if Regal is a family name. I'm sure it is. Uh, per the theaters and Oldsmobile folks, <laughs> or I think it's Buick. Anyway, uh, Damon Keith and I are not of of relation, but uh, I will say because my last name is Keith. Uh, we got a lot of fanfare early on because of the work that he did in the 60s and the 70s, et cetera. And um, I think the world suffered a real loss today, but he lived uh, a long life. And so I just want to remember him. And, and anyone who is out there who is close to a computer right now, I would urge you to just Google D-A-M-O-N space Keith to look at some of the work that, uh, that he's done because um, he lent so much uh, more than an ear to to us as some of us older millennials were were getting started in activism from a political and enterprise standpoint. So, with that said, um, as the inclusionist, as the entrepreneur uh, that I am now turned uh, politico, I like to ask Jessica, <laughs> as our mother would say. Um, what what brought you to this space? Uh, was it um, to the, the space of building Motivote? Was it um, was it entrepreneurialism? Was it uh, political science? Your, your own political philosophy? Was it uh, take us way back? I don't yeah. know. Where would you start? How would you start? Yeah. So the the catalyst for starting Motivote was. Uh, the opportunity for my capstone project at NYU Wagner School of Public Service to create a business case for a new social venture. Uh, but I'll, I'll back up and take you through uh, my journey before that, which explains why we're working on, on this problem with this solution, which is as an undergraduate, I was a political science major. Uh, after uh, graduating from college, I joined Teach for America. I taught first grade in New Orleans uh, and then uh, continued to teach at a charter school up in Newark. And then I went to grad school and got a master's of public administration. And I say all that to say that on paper, I checked all the boxes for engaged millennial. Uh, I had really strong political opinions. I discussed politics incessantly. Uh, and despite all that, until last year, I had never voted in a non-presidential election. Really? Yeah. Were you? When did you turn eight? <laughs> Up until last year? Up until last year. So post-2016, post all that went down. I'm a little shocked, yeah. but I'm gonna, we're going to ride with that. Yeah, So, but I, and I say, I say that to shock you, right? Because I'm somebody who, again, on paper... You would think. You would think, and I am far from alone. There are... Right, we have wow. 50 million eligible 18 to 29-year-olds, uh, who eligible voters in the U.S. Uh, 14 million of us are what we call drop-off voters. We vote in presidential elections and nothing else. And I always say, think about what our country would look like if young people punched at our weight as voters. And Mm -hmm. we were voting in in every local, every primary. So bigger picture, that's why I come to this work, a sense of frustration with myself and my generation, Mm. uh, and want to take what I've been learning for the past few years in terms of uh, behavioral science and behavioral strategies that help us follow through on things that we intend to do that are important to us, uh, but but we don't necessarily prioritize without some extra accountability and nudges. Mm. Uh, let's, and, uh, yeah. Well, I mean, well, let's dig into intention mm-hmm. a bit. Uh, so w- what is the, I'm going to use your word, so what is the sort of b- behavioral science behind our intention to, I'm going to go beyond vote, I'm yeah. just going to say to participate, Yeah. but we, we don't, I think... Uh, 
now you're making me think about the earlier conversation with Judge Keith. We always would talk about uh, intention mm-hmm. in the in the law and it being uh, a bearer for for how judges consider you know what folks' mental state is when they engage in any sort of process. So, what what, what does that mean? Like, what what is the science? How bad off or how great are we? Yeah. So the idea is, uh, wait, we're humans. We have locked of cognitive biases or things that get in the way Mm -hmm. of us doing what we intend to do or say is important to us. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I uh, started to explore this concept of of really what's going on with my generation, right? We're so socially conscious. Every study shows we're the most altruistic, uh, really want businesses that we uh, patronize to to show that they're doing social impact. We can have strong political opinions, uh, but we're we're inconsistent voters and we're inconsistent civic participants. So the question was, what's going on here? Mm -hmm. And the way we started this process of of unpacking that was uh, setting up hundreds of interviews with college students, with 20-somethings who are, quote, adulting for the first time. Adulting. That is a very millennial (laughs) thing. But I will say, I think it's a very... 90s millennial thing as a 80s millennial I don't know I don't, I don't know that we use that language but anyway so go so they're adulting yeah. they're trying to You're be trying responsible to, right, you have your social life you have your first job or two you have to do your laundry you have to go to the gym it's, it's all the things okay. yeah. all of them right so what we <laughs> realized was it was continually resurfacing through these interviews and it was something that had not come up in a lot of the existing literature on mm. why don't young people vote because we're certainly not the first ones to broach that question. Oh, I go through that all the yeah. time with boomers. <laughs> I always say, I was in a conversation, I think I've told you this before, but I'm, actually nowadays I'm often in the yeah. conversation where baby boomers, I think people born before 1959, uh, maybe there's a gray area in the early 60s. I think Obama identified <laughs> as a boomer, which I think is off, mm. but I think he wanted to go with, yeah. you know, sort of the cool group. Anyway, uh, you know, they always talk about, well, if we could just, if we would have got millennials to dr- to vote, then we wouldn't have Trump or whatever. And I try to warn them that when they were burning bras and smoking doobies, <laughs> that uh, they weren't voting either. At no least the one stats. voted when they were young. No one votes. And, there, and there's reasons for, for that. Yeah. Uh, but on, on top of that, what we've been understanding about this generation Right, so, the, so what kept coming up in these, in these interviews is we were talking about voting the same way we talk about going to the gym or mm. saving money. We're like, mm-hmm. yeah, 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 like I was going to, but, but yeah. like, like this happened or like I'm registered in the state where I went to college and I didn't know there was this local election until I saw it on Facebook and like, oh, I'm so embarrassed. Oh, my gosh. But like not enough to on your own go fix it for next time. Right. So this Because that's work. Yeah, yeah. Is it more about work or is it more about... Is it a responsibility issue or is it really a work issue? Because even when I think about the gym, there's a, there's a responsibility piece um, because I do think, especially in a lot of our work, we're moving a lot yeah. less. So it was like, well, and being responsible, maybe I should work out of it. But then there's the actual work piece. So do they both play in? They is both that a- play in. So we've identified uh, what we call micro barriers, which micro barriers. are the little real and imagined things that get in the way of following through on your intentions. Uh, and we differentiate that out from structural barriers, right? All the forms of voter suppression we're seeing, the fact that, like, Election Day is on a Tuesday. That's and a problem. That's a problem. And there is a <laughs> lot, there's a lot of amazing people and organizations working for those policy-level uh, yeah. fixes. And what we're focused on is how within the system, which, like, right, a lot of aspects about it, but like, they suck. Sure. How can we make that a little bit better? So we come in the micro barriers. We, there's, there's the logistics, right? There's yeah. I have to know about the deadlines. Uh, then there's the information, like, 
I don't know what this office is. Uh, I just don't know enough to make an informed decision. And then there's a third mm-hmm. piece. It's a confidence piece. This we found comes up with, with young people a lot more so than older counterparts. So, so the, what, what did you call the third piece? The uh, assumed barriers? Uh, perceived? Micro, so we say micro barriers. And some are real and some are imagined. Oh, okay. You yeah. Call, yeah, you say imagined. Right. Yeah. So the third sort of micro barrier is imagined. Is the one you just mentioned an imagined barrier or is that, is that real? I think it can be. Yeah. It can be what we reflected a lot, a lot. We reflected a lot on like how, if somebody says, well, if I had known more information mm-hmm. or if I had had the information to make a, an informed decision, uh, then I would have voted. And we would step out of those interviews <laughs> and be like, well, that's an excuse. But just because it's an excuse you make after the fact doesn't mean we can't maybe put something uh, in there to help handhold you through that the next time, right? If you're saying spoon feeding me information and making helping me feel confident right. would help me vote, then we might as well try that intervention. That's interesting. Uh, yeah, I do um, think we make excuses, though. No, we do. You know, I'm a, um, I'm a frat boy. So when I was in college, and you are, you're done with NYU now, or are you still? Yeah, so okay, we, you're we done. graduated just about a year ago. Okay, so now you're just like old seasoned yeah, entrepreneur, just old, just old yeah, lady just made out here, <laughs> out here. <laughs> yeah. So no, I um, I'm a, I'm a frat boy. And when I was joining uh, my frat in undergrad, we used to have this poem, this saying around excuses, and it, it went like this. It went. Uh, excuses are tools of incompetence, and those who use them seldom amount to anything. <laughs> and is, that a, is that a poem? <laughs> I mean, well, we call, we called them poems, but it was really we'd have to spit it out really fast every time we did something <laughs> stupid or uh, b- bad things happen. I guess you know these days. <laughs> leave it, it at that. Yeah, <laughs> that yeah, yeah. Happen. Maybe we should. Yeah, for legal reasons, we're going <laughs> to leave it at that. But so no, I, I hear you. I think you know everyone does it. And again, as I was talking to those boomers not too long ago who were saying, oh, you know, the millennials never vote. And I was telling them about how statistically they weren't voting when they were that age. I do try to put pressure on sort of the 35 to 65 Mm -hmm. year olds to say, look, be responsible. We know it's our jobs to go to work, lose our hair, have the kids vote, care about everything, be boring, buy ugly (laughs) shoes, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I, I do think that it's necessary to give sort of 18 to 25 year olds an opportunity to figure out who they are and know why they may be voting for that particular candidate. Uh, But um, I don't want to give them too much of a, you know, of an escape. I do think that what you all are doing is noble in that we can possibly increase the voter numbers. And so if understanding their psychology, so you were a psych major in grad school? Uh, Was it poli-sci? So I was, uh, I got, it was a master of public administration, but we worked with a behavioral economics professor. Okay. Okay. You did. But you, so you have a few co-founders and are they also, they were in the same program? Are they more like diverse and disciplined? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I thought so. No one's like a psych, a psychology no, person. Really? No, it's just that we we had the luxury because yeah. we started as grad students of spending mm-hmm. two full years digging into the mm-hmm. behavioral science uh, behind this. But yeah. none, none of us are trained behavioral economists. So, what is on the entrepreneurial side? What's it like? Because I think the interesting thing in a lot of these political apps and sort of the appification of activism and engagement these days, post say 2005 at least that I've lived through seeing because I I remember my first sort of political organizing was for Al Gore I was 
18 in uh, 99, 2000, I was 17 in 99. And um, anyway, we didn't have any, everything was on paper, really. But uh, as you all do this, you're really, really trying to build like an enterprise. Is it like, is the app supposed to make money? Is it, is it geared up for, for grants? Is it a not-for-profit? Uh, should not-for-profits make a bunch of money? <laughs> how are you, yeah, yeah. How are so, you achieving <laughs> the goal, the logistics of... Because yes. there's another yeah, yeah. hurdle Mo- there. Yeah, Motivote is a tool that gives organizations a more effective way to do what they're already trying to do, which sure. is activate young people in their network. So mm. we are a for-profit, for-good mm. social enterprise. Uh, and organizations like PACs, campaigns, nonprofits, colleges, they're already investing a lot of time and money mm. in uh, in voter engagement and really bro- more broadly civic engagement strategies that that are not working because we're yeah. we're pretty much stuck in the 1950s here, right? We're stuck in the 1950s. We're, we're like dialing landlines. We are dropping mail on people's porches, yeah. and when you. Uh, when you pay, start to pay attention to a lot of the, uh, the metrics in this space, mm. uh, they are things like doors knocked, sure. texts sent, yeah. get out the vote contacts made. They're focused very much on inputs and not on outcomes and impact. So we're trying to flip that. We're trying to focus on when we engage with somebody, whether in person or digitally, because right, digital is not replacing our in-person relationships. Yeah, that's what I wanted to... Yeah. Uh, but go ahead. So when you focus... What so you, so you're focused on how we change the outcomes. So we're focused on getting people over the behavioral breakdowns or those micro barriers on the path to following through with their intention of voting. So we right. see a lot of focus on registering to people, people to vote. That's super important. We'd sure. like to see more automatic voter registration uh, coming through. Uh, but there is this big, big blank space in between mm. registering to vote and actually doing it. Uh, there was an article, uh, you might have seen it went viral right before the midterms in New York Magazine called like 12 young people on why they probably won't vote mm. in the midterms and people were freaking out. They're yeah. like, this is how the world ends by a millennial who can't figure out how to use a stamp. That's scary. Um, but it's also well, people you, don't know how to send mail. People anyway, don't go ahead. know how to send mail. So let's but help them send Yeah, let's, like, let's help them send more it, mail. Right? Yeah. Um, they don't write in cursive anyway. <laughs> cursive. <laughs> I'm not mad at Look, I'm as a like, card-carrying millennial, I'm like, yeah, let's get rid of the stuff that doesn't work and use yeah. more of the stuff that does work. Uh, but anyway, so go ahead. So, so in that article... What? Like, so what you there's remember. a couple different yeah. things that all fall into under the, the umbrella of micro barriers like, well, I traveling and I have to register in the different state and I don't know how or I don't have time to stop by the post office, I don't know where to get the stamp. Mm-hmm. Uh, but more broadly what came through was like, Okay, I registered. I don't know what happens next. Um, so what we like taking it back to this uh, this this set of interviews we started with right and we were hearing like okay I'm talking about voting as a behavior the same way I talk about going to the gym or saving money and we started to think well how do we help ourselves in other areas of our life uh, build those habits and follow through on these goals and we're like there's all of these uh, tech-enabled behavioral tools typically in the forms of of apps that we use to kind of get our get ourselves together and, and keep us accountable. It might be having a, a workout buddy uh, that we commit to showing up to that 6 a.m. class with. Right. Uh, I know I use ClassPass because I uh, 
a, a fitness app that will charge me money if I try to flake on my workout costs. Really? Yeah. That's the thing you do? Yeah. Okay. Um, even right. though, right, I know working out is important intrinsically, but I'm not going to make myself do it on my own because... <laughs> I have all sorts of cognitive biases, right? We're over-optimistic. We value things more in the future than in the present. If you've heard the phrase, like, my diet starts Monday, right? That's something called intertemporal bias. We do, do the same thing with voting. Uh, so we're trying to combat all that with those same uh, behavioral strategies, things like social accountability, incentivized plan making that build the habit of voting. And so the solution is what you build sort of this digital community. If I understand this right, I'm sure you'll... <clears throat> correct me where I'm overly vague. So you build this digital community around the act of voting and then the community shames everybody into voting. <laughs> You're really into the shame side. Yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm exploring That's it. I'm, one, yeah. yeah. So there, there's a lot of ways that we can help people, nudge people to follow through on their behavior. We, we sure. talk about it in terms of carrots and sticks. Sure. So one of the sticks is you better, know, shame better, or we will put you on blast if, yes. if you didn't vote in whatever way you choose to. There's also uh, kind of community rewards. There's mm -hmm. We do points and, and prizes rewards, for taking those steps. So yeah. we, we do both ways because we know different people respond to, to both types of nudges. Mm -hmm. So it's uh, what Motivote is in, in the behavioral economics literature is called a commitment device, mm -hmm. uh, which is just a fancy term for a set of arrangements or plans that we make now to help us follow through with... Uh, with what we want to do in the future, knowing that it'll be harder to do it in the future. Yeah. Okay. So it's a commitment device. A commitment device. I like that. So with that said, we're going to pause briefly. Yep. We're going to pause briefly um, for the, the other cause to dig into, um, well, yeah, while we're here, we got <clears throat> to acknowledge the station really quick and get ready for our, for our other guests. But we'll be back. Jess will still be here because I want to bounce off some of these commitment device um, strategies with uh, a targeted population that we hope will be committed to go far beyond um, grassroots activism into, well, actually voting. Yeah. Because uh, I think... As we talk about politics so very often, and now it is sort of um, hyped up a lot more in, in the media, politics, for anyone who's sort of on the fence about what it is or what it should be, it's, it's not really about policy per se. It's really about the distribution of power and who gets to be in it and who doesn't. So who's making decisions and who's not. So with that, we're going to play some more music. We'll be right back. You will not be able to stay home, brother. You will not be able to plug in, turn on, and cop out. You will not be able to lose yourself on Skag and skip out for beer during commercials because the revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not be brought to you by Xerox in four parts without commercial interruptions. The revolution will not show you pictures of Nixon blowing a bugle and leading a charge by John Mitchell, General Abrams, and Spiro Agnew to eat hog moths confiscated from a Harlem sanctuary. The revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not be brought to you by the shape of a war theater and will not star Natalie Woods and Steve McQueen or Bullwinkle and Julia. 
will not give your mouth sex appeal. The revolution will not get rid of the nub. The revolution will not make you look five pounds thinner because the revolution will not be televised, brother. There will be no pictures of you and Willie Mae pushing that shopping cart down the block on the dead run or trying to slide that color TV into a stolen ambulance. NBC will not be able to predict the winner at 8.32 on report from 29 districts. The revolution will not be televised. There will be no pictures of pigs shooting down brothers on the instant replay. There will be no pictures of pigs shooting down brothers on the instant replay. There will be no pictures of Whitney Young being run out of Harlem on the rail with a brand new process. There will be no slow motion or still lights of Roy Wilkins strolling through Watts in a red, black, and green liberation jumpsuit that he has been saving for just the proper occasion. Green Acres, Beverly Hillbillies, and Hooterville Junction will no longer be so damn relevant, and women will not care if Dick finally got down with Jane on search for tomorrow because black people will be in the street looking for a brighter day. The revolution will not be televised. There will be no highlights on the 11 o'clock news and no pictures of Harry R. Women Liberationist and Jackie Onassis blowing her nose. The theme song will not be written by Jim Webb or Francis Scott Keyes, nor sung by Glenn Campbell, Tom Jones, Johnny You're listening to WHCR 90.3 FM, The Voice of Power. The revolution will not be right back after a message about a white tornado, white lightning, or white people. You will not have to worry about a dove in your bedroom, the tiger in your tank, or the giant in your toilet bowl. The revolution will not go better with coke. The revolution will not fight germs that may cause bad breath. The revolution will put you in the driver's seat. The revolution will not be televised, will not be televised, will not be televised, will not be televised. The revolution will be no rerun, brothers. The revolution will be live. All right, so we're back with a whole lot more people. Um, I want to introduce, as mentioned earlier, um, Naomi Hollard. I got hey. that right, right? With yeah. a D, yep. right. I, don't know, I was going to say Holland. Uh, I met all these people from Holland here in Harlem <laughs> earlier today. Uh, Naomi Hollard and Elizabeth Love of the Sunrise Movement. And also here is, uh, you don't want to go. <laughs> Kevin Way, who's also a student at uh, at Columbia and a member of the Sunrise uh, Movement, is it chapter? Am I saying that right? It's, well, we call it a hub. A but, hub. I the mean, hub. functionally, it's basically like a chapter. Right. But oh, so part of the hub at Columbia. So there are a bunch of. How many people would you say are part of the the hub? So our hub has a listserv of three hundred people, but I'd say we have about. 40 re- pretty really active people uh, members okay. and then a lot of solid leaders as well okay so. uh, leaders from within who are i mean leading like w- within the hub or they do other things like what is within the hub mean? so as in we have outreach initiatives so um reaching out to different groups or yeah. like for example we also have communications coordinators who take care of the twitter yeah. and the instagram all those things so love it everyone yeah we have a lot of people taking up those uh, responsibilities i think i feel like you all have more infrastructure than uh, than i do i'm here trying to <laughs> i still don't know how to work we haven't taken any calls because i don't know anyway i don't know what i'm doing with all these buttons um so elizabeth uh let, let's step back for for two seconds because i want to no more about Sunrise Movement, but I want to loop it into what we were talking about earlier with, with Jess and the incentivization, if that's a word, um, of getting people out to the polls. But then even more broadly, was just getting people to do things in this time where we absolutely require a bit more participation than we're normally used to. But before we get to that, you all are all here from somewhere else. Jess, are you a New Yorker? 
Yorker. Oh, you are a New Yorker. You grew up here not in Manhattan? Originally. Oh, not yeah, originally. I grew up in New Jersey. Oh, that's Ooh. a thing. It's okay. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Okay, that's fine. Uh, I grew up in Detroit. So, right, okay, you're a New Yorker. So, Naomi, you are... I was raised in Wisconsin, Madison, Wisconsin. Boom, okay. Yeah. And so you came here just for school. Yep. I mean, I was born in New Jersey, okay. uh, <laughs> my first-gen American, Jersey. so I'm not, you know, I'm not Wisconsinite, but yeah, I was raised yeah. in Wisconsin. And Elizabeth? <clears throat> I'm from Salt Lake City. Okay, wow. I had some fun in Salt Lake City. Really? <laughs> yeah, I did a lecture uh, on, um, it was called Transhumanism and Spirituality at the University of Utah. Mm, awesome. But it was co-sponsored by, um, you know, the Mormons have a really interesting research and development arm called the Transfiguration Institute. Oh, really? There's a bunch of transhumanists who are basically like humanists who think about if we can modify our bodies and, and things like that, or if we live in, in simulations because we can create simulations like video games right now. Some of them are arguing, per the God argument sometimes, that uh, it's likely that we live in a simulation right now. Interesting. And anyway, we duked it out around philosophy there. That was, last time I was in Salt Lake City, it was like 2010. So it was a minute ago. So you're from Salt Lake City. You came here just for school? Just for school, yeah. And you, go, where, are you where are you in school? Like you're I'm a first fr- year. First year? Yeah. So you're like 18. I, I just 19. turned 19 like two weeks ago. Is it legal for you to be here right now? Like, do we need to sign off or anything <laughs> like that? You're good. We're all good. We're all good. <laughs> so when Naomi, you're a senior, when you leave, you're going to sort of carry the torch. So, you, okay, so you all won't die. Is this on purpose? Are you here in a very intentional way because you are the future and she's just like old? Is that a thing? Uh, I mean, <laughs> kind of. Yeah. <laughs> I guess she was a great, you know, really was taking initiatives within the group. Yeah. But also the fact that she's a freshman is, is a great asset as right, well. Right, that's dope. Yeah. That's yeah, got to continue. It's so fun calling mm. young people old. I love it. <laughs> and Kevin, you are from? Dallas, Texas. Dallas, Texas. Wow. Right. Well, so, so we've talked. I know <clears throat> all these people a little bit. Well, Elizabeth is new. We're, we're just meeting. But... Um, and so, and Kevin, you came up here just for school or? Well, I guess I live here now, you know. You live, right. And so you're going to stay when you graduate. Yeah. You're getting ready to graduate now. Pretty soon, October. Right. And Elizabeth, you'll obviously be here for a little bit longer. Yeah. What, are you leaving in the summer? Yeah, I'm leaving this summer. Is Salt Lake City nicer in the summer than it is in the winter? Yeah, because there's, well, it's, there's no it's humidity. So okay. it's really, it doesn't get too unbearable. But is it also nice in the winter because you all have winter things there? It's not nice in the winter because there's a lot of air pollution. Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah, awful air pollution, like worst in the country. Get out of here. Okay, Mm -hmm. no, so I didn't know that, like, at all. Um, Naomi, you're leaving, right, after you graduate? Yes. The city, the area? Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay, and Jess, right, we know you're a New Yorker now. You, like, yeah. read the Times every morning, yeah. and you yell at <laughs> people on the street. Okay, so let's let's get into what Sunrise is first. Let's, like, establish for for the listeners, for us, like, what is Sunrise? When, when did it start? Yeah. When did it start? All that stuff. Yeah, um, so Sunrise Movement is a uh, political climate activist group that seeks to create millions of good jobs and stop climate change at the same time. Um, it started, I mean, this is a very new group on, I'd say, the uh, climate activist scene. So it was formed in the beginnings of uh, 2018. Uh, so basically, the founders spent a year in 2017 planning and doing research and figuring out what would be the best way to help create change, actual change, climate change, 
um, that would help stop the increase in emissions that, you know, had been increasing since um, we'd been talking about it. So, uh, so essentially, they started in uh, 2018. They did a time capsule event in March, uh, which was, you know, it was cute. People got together. But at that mm-hmm. point, the, the group was really small. I mean, they had maybe five hubs across the country. Mm. Um, and then they did Heat Week in August, where they essentially protested uh, for a full week at, at these offices um, at like in front of Schumer's building and things like that, basically demanding that our politicians and our leaders take action to stop climate change because it was unacceptable uh, that our leaders hadn't been taking any action. Um, again, they were still kind of small. But then it was in November that Sunrise Movement uh, did an action in Nancy Pelosi's office. They sat in Nancy Pelosi's office demanding... That. A, a select house committee for a Green New Deal, and that action went viral. I mean, millions and millions of views. Right, everyone saw that. Everyone right. saw that view. So ever since then, now uh, Sunrise Movement has 200 hubs across the country. It's it's growing every every single day. It's like more and more people are joining. It's still the growing. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, it was a hell of a. I'll just back up for two seconds. So I think that was a hell of a PR stunt, and I wonder. Like I remember. I was going to say back in the day, but it's not really back in the day, like 350.org. And like we had the largest march here. We had about 400,000 people here. That must have been 2012. Maybe it was 2013. 2012. 2012. I think it's 2012. So is there any overlap? I guess the way I differentiate, and I don't know, Elizabeth, feel free to chime in, is Sunrise is more about the infrastructure play, like the jobs and the work that we do to get to what 350 want. Or am I being too vague? Is there more? Is yeah, I'd say there's a little bit more. Okay, I break think, it down. I think so. The, actually, uh, funny enough, the, the founders of Sunrise were ex- extremely fueled by the climate march that happened. The sure. Cl- and uh, fueled a lot by a lot of the other um, campaigns of the past. For, for example, um, the divest movement in, in campuses. So yeah. a lot of them actually were a part of that. And they just saw that it wasn't making a, a big enough change. Um, but Sunrise, I think what's unique about Sunrise is that they essentially try to accumulate people power yeah. so they there's a there's two fronts to it they they get people power so they have actions to like the pr you know get sure. some people on more people on board they they uh, have hubs and local events so that's really important but then they also seek to have political power yeah so that means that they're going to be helping politicians in their campaigns politicians that are actually going to be uh, instituting climate change um and they're also going to be they're having uh, politicians sign the no fossil fuel money pledge so making sure that politicians aren't receive are, aren't being corrupted by fossil fuel uh, executive money which is a huge problem in our political system so i think what's unique with sunrise which is different than 350 and like sierra you know sierra club and all these other groups is that they actually uh, focus on both of those things at once because historically it's been shown in the u.s that the biggest change and the most effective change happens if po- and when politicians and people come together. I like that, when politicians and people come together. As a, um, I guess, the resident politician in the room. I mean, I used to be a people, and now <laughs> things are slightly different. So, so it's clear that everyone who's involved in Sunrise is sort of at their core activists because they, they came out of their comfort zone to participate. But I would be curious to know if the psychology of these folks still leaves us short with regards to their ability to go out and vote at the end of the day. So when I think about Sunrise specific to the Columbia Hub, everyone's from somewhere else. 
where does everyone, so everyone around the table, I guess, except for Jess, where do you vote and why? Feel free to be long-winded. I guess let's go to Elizabeth first, but I, Kevin, I want to hear where you vote to. Yeah. Uh, I vote in Utah right now because uh, so far I felt that's where my vote counted the most because I'm sort of in the minority there. Uh, it's a pretty conservative state and I'm pretty liberal. And so uh, I think it's impactful for me to vote on things like we had a, a referendum on medical marijuana. And so I really wanted to vote on that. So I, I've been voting in Utah. <laughs> So now I'm, I'm listening. Um, so, so, so you're gonna vote for there? Uh, you're gonna vote there because of the referendum? What about you, Kevin? Well, I voted in in uh, Dallas, where I'm from, in 2016, 2018, um, and then I think once I made up my mind to to put down roots and stay in New York City, I just switched my registration status, so I'm gonna be voting in New York from now on. Oh, really? Yep. That's interesting. Everyone that I meet, everyone that I meet from somewhere else. Uh, claims that they need to vote at home because New York is so progressive and um, and uh, anyway like they they need to save the folks at home I'm not against that argument I just I'm just curious to know where folks stand It's definitely not um, a bad argument I am a fan of folks voting where they are because I think it just it shows impact uh, <clears throat> in general especially when they're working with with local candidates um, would you say the majority of people in Sunrise right now vote here? I think like the first time I went to undergrad in Alabama, so I voted for Al Gore in Alabama. Obviously, you know, Alabama's Alabama, so I, f I probably felt like I was doing the noble thing. But I think if I lived in Massachusetts, I would have voted for Al Gore, even though he's a Tennessee guy. He, and I think he won Tennessee, uh, which was rare. But um, so wh what do you think the sentiment of the the other folks in, in Sunrise is, are they, uh, you know, they're voting where they're from? I mean, so we started a, our hub in January. Yeah. So we actually haven't had an election just yet. Um, and I think that right now we have been so just focusing on, um, you know, pushing the sen our senators and pushing sure. our, our politicians to uh, sign on to the No Fossil Fuel Money Pledge and, and co-sponsor the Green New Deal. But um, I do think generally people in the hub, the few that I've spoken sure. to about uh, voting, yeah, they generally go vote in their states sure. if they come from states that are swing states or uh, conservative states. Sure. Okay. So, um, but but I think okay. part part of at least for me part of because uh, I vote in Wisconsin. Yeah. Um, and part of it is just that I also think that um, and 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 this is you know might relate to the whole app situation, but I'm, ki I'm quite confused sometimes by New York politics mm. because I think New York, I mean, where I'm from in Wisconsin, it's, yeah. it's black and white. You got Republicans who want to, you know, who don't care about climate change and who love, you know, whatever it is, like things that I don't support. And then sure. Democrats are generally in line with what I believe in. But here, everybody's a Democrat. That's funny to me. <laughs> and so I'm like, I don't, you know. So two things about that really quick because I want to go into how you all push them and talk about the event that you that you have coming up but so uh, and the, I think a lot of places politics can be more complicated than it seems on the outside but you're right anywhere where there's a formidable party opposition like Democrat versus Republican then the lines get put pretty clearly drawn you're right here you have multiple parties you can be on the ballot multiple times uh, in a given election because of the Working Families Party and other parties and you name it um, but I would also say you know New York is 
it's just so much more dense than other places. Like Harlem, where we are sitting right now, this neighborhood is bigger than Cleveland. So, and that also means it's bigger than, if I'm not mistaken, every city in, every individual city in, in Wisconsin. And so that's a bit of a unique beast um, that we are so big here. And it's about, you know, it's more than 300,000 people are just here in this one neighborhood. And you could divide Harlem up into three neighborhoods, which I wouldn't, but some folks would. And they're all like three, you know, pretty big and in, in different cities in the West, the central and, and eastern parts. So per that, because we are so dense, we also have a lot of politicians and a lot of people overlapping in the specifics of, of what they believe. Uh, it's sort of it's a spectrum of progressivism over here. And so as you look to push politicians, I know you all are all about the action and events. Tell us about the event you have coming up, the date, the time, yeah. who's, who's paneling, what do they do? Um, and the, the idea that, if I'm not mistaken, there are also some sort of micro Green New Deals at the state and municipal level. Yes. And are those... Are you all with those? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, so Sunrise Movement is supports any level of um, initiative that goes in line with our principles. So, for example, the um, climate, the recent plan, uh, wait, let me just look real quick. The Climate Mobilization Act, that's a fantastic, fantastic bill that just got um, passed by city council. And I just met with uh, uh, one of the city council members coast and he's super cool but uh, either oh, way yeah. yeah he's very cool um, I agree. so but but yeah so it, all of those plans like the CCPA at the state level that is something that we're behind as well um, I think right now just the Green New Deal is obviously a very large plan that if um, instituted would be a huge help um, in terms of stopping climate change and creating, creating millions of good jobs uh, but but yeah, no, any, yeah, all of those plans, we know about them and we are behind those. Yeah. Um, but in terms of our event, our event is a Green New Deal town hall. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's happening May 4th at 3 p.m. Um, at 302 Barnard Hall on the <laughs> Barnard campus. Right. Um, and so it's essentially a space where we want to help inform people about the Green New Deal. Sure. There's a lot of, um, I'd say, there's not enough conversation going on in communities because ultimately the Green New Deal will be having a community impact and yeah. it's, it's a community investment. And so on the panel, we'll be having you. Uh, uh, Jane. Oh, thank you. Right. right. <laughs> Everybody uh, else, so yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and then so then we have uh, an activist from 350 New York City, uh, Megan uh, Takahashi. And then we have recently a professor from the Union Theological Seminary. um, And his name is Professor uh, Raymond. Okay. So... And that's just Raymond? Just Ray Ray. uh, I'm with it, yeah. (laughs) um, Right, which is also... The the seminary is is right around the corner from Columbia. Yes, or, or it will actually, yeah. yeah, very much. It's like in the same building than one yeah. of our buildings. When you go Barnard and then the seminary, right. So for anyone who's not familiar, which I think a lot of folks are, most of our listeners are, it's about 40,000 people up here, but it's all Columbia, Columbia on Columbia on Columbia. Yeah. yeah. Right. Uh, yes. Which is like a city in itself. Um, all right. And so his, his first name is Jan, Jan Raymond. Oh, okay. I'm, I was, I'm fine I'm with sorry, Raymond. Just, we can just. I just wanted to make sure that he. We can call him Professor Raymond. Professor Raymond, great. Yeah, I think when people get that professorial title, they just go by first name professor. Yeah. It's like, it's like Mrs. Like Miss, yeah, such and such. Um, you know, 
it's like uh, I don't know when I was a kid you weren't allowed to call like older people by their first names so it was like auntie uncle right yeah so yeah it's just like uncle raymond um oh, that sounds kind of creepy <laughs> uncle is always creepy right anyway <laughs> i'm getting off subject um shout out to all the creepy uncles <laughs> oh wait or maybe not anyway um so you're gonna have them on the panel yes uh, professor raymond <laughs> and uh okay that's good three o'clock um and what it's a, like two hours one hour it's an hour and a half so yeah. The first hour, 50 minutes, will be dedicated to the panelists. We'll be able to um, speak seven to ten minutes about uh, how exactly will the Green New Deal be an, an investment or what are the sort of obstacles that the Green New Deal face. Yeah. Um, there will also be a short presentation in the beginning about what is the Green New Deal exactly. Sure. Uh, um, and then at the end, there's 30 minutes dedicated to uh, a communi- community conversation. So people yeah. will come in with questions. Um comments, concerns, whatever it is, and the panelists will have the liberty to uh, answer and, and have this conversation, you know, with, with people of the community. Sure. Yeah. Jess, is this a is this an opportunity for you all? Like, is this, let's pivot in slightly to entrepreneurship. Is this like a, uh, to use a, a business term, is this like a go-to-market opportunity? <laughs> Are these like prime candidates to onboard into the app, to... See if you can leverage them to do, I don't know, not only vote, but participate in some other way, some yeah. other action. So the, the way that MotoVote works is through, through partnerships with organizations that have yeah. uh, in real life or digital social networks, and we're activating them towards the outcome of voting. So it makes mean, a ton of sense. Yeah. <laughs> and something you said a few minutes ago, like, right, we're, we just started the hub in last January. We're focused on this, and we hear that a lot of, like, there are so many policy positions there. Everyone's trying to do a ton of really important things. Well, our thought process is, okay, if we can build out this effective way to help people with just the mechanics of building the behavior of voting, uh, and then that's something that we can uh, deliver to, to groups that are on the ground versus you have to build something up from scratch every election cycle, then, right, that's... Right, we're not duplicating resources. We're letting everyone focus on what they're really good at. And yeah, uh, yeah. So I think as as the as the political person, what I'm always looking for, and, and, and as I'm talking to sort of local elected officials, district leaders, activists in general, obviously you want to come to the table with with some big ideas and propose some policy. But what you're ultimately looking for, if, if democracy is working, then the groups like Sunrise is offering policy principles. Mm-hmm. Now I know that Sunrise. Uh, at the national level has done that. They uh, produced a pretty extensive, I would call it a white paper. Did they call it a white paper? They don't call that document a white paper. What do they call Which it? Which document? The big, so there's, there's like this big PDF on their, on their website that talks about what the Green New Deal is. Right, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But um, at the local level, um, I would say, t- I would ask two things. Are you all planning on producing uh, specific policy initiatives that the, that the students want to see handled, you know, at the federal, state, municipal level, and that's for Sunrise folks. And then the second question is, is that 
something that MotorVote can be used for? So MotorVote is, is not just specific to politicians. It can be ballot initiatives, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. And that's yeah. where we see a ton of opportunity because we know that, right, there's some particularly primary campaigns where there's not maybe a, a candidate who clearly benefits from having sure. more young people vote, some there do, for ballot initiatives in particular, <laughs> right? We see, like, you just get more young people to vote, you have a clear outcome. Wait, so is that a barrier? Uh, look, so just as an entrepreneur, yeah. when I think about bringing, I used to be a product guy, so bringing a product to market, if your product disrupts the status quo of the of the market, which would, let's say, be a, a politician who doesn't benefit from young people who don't like them, are they actively trying to suppress you? Have you experienced any of that? Any of that? We have not experienced you that. Experienced <laughs> it. Okay, all right. But, uh, but we're, you know, our, our vision is a world where young people vote at the same rates as their grandparents, mm. and there are some people who, who do not want that. Do you get a lot of... Okay, let me reframe yeah. the question. Do you do you have any fans who are old seasoned, you know, salt and pepper haired politicians? Yes, because they want they want more young people to but vote. They do. Sometimes they don't realize there are, there are certainly some some groups that do not want more young people to vote. Do they always say it? No, but mm. we know they don't benefit from it. Um, but there, there's a lot of folks of older generations or seasoned in this space who really want more young people to vote and the disconnect is they they sometimes don't realize that the strategies that they're putting out there and that they're investing in like tv ads Mm -hmm. and mailers those are not reaching and activating young people sure it's it's like what you were saying of like oh the boomers are like well if the millennials would just vote it's like hey let's think about what this system looks like and how we're trying to talk to people yeah no we, uh, we dug in earlier about <laughs> millennials versus boomers so uh, kevin really quick you so you worked on the beto campaign and uh i guess that's just something i know about you maybe i jumped the gun and i should have <laughs> let you <laughs> cascade down into that but so so you worked on the beto campaign uh who beto o'rourke for anyone who's not familiar ran for the u.s senate down in texas Based on what you've heard about the MotorVote app and being one of the 300, is it 300 in Sunrise or 200? 300. 300. I'm serve on the list. One of the 300. I like the 300 because you can play on that movie. So being one of the 300, right, who, like, jumps off cliffs and stabs Xerxes, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera, right, and you're fighting for freedom and honor and, and your place and time, is this app something that you that you could envision like a campaign like Beto's, which was, which was elaborate and long lasting, or, you know, a newer campaign like, like Sunrise. Um, can you see yourself using the app to, in the myriad of other apps that exist? Yeah. To, yeah. Yeah. I mean, definitely. Um, I mean, our campaign had a very dedicated outreach team to college campuses, to voters yeah. and having, you know, software that can really get those people out to vote and to remember that, you know, today's election day or it's early, early voting and like, to, to really nudge them to get out uh, to the polls is super important. Sure. So, and this is maybe putting you on the spot because uh, I'm not sure I've thought about this enough, but I kind of want to just play with it and noodle on it a bit here is, is this type of app complementary to any other sort of app that exists? So, you know, we have like texting apps and canvassing apps and, and emailing apps. And so there are a lot of ways that we engage, engage, engage. And a lot of it is old school, like mailing people stuff, because what we call triple prime voters here in New York are really anyone who votes in every election, but that's usually older people. And so they're not checking their email. And so you got to mail them. And so a lot of this digital stuff 
it sort of starts to work when people start using digital tools and like they don't have AOL addresses. I hope none of you have an AOL address because that was just a slight diss. Mine too, mine too. And it still says 92 on it. It's like her name, 92 at AOL. Um, But I mean, does this fit in your familiarity with like a app stack, tech stack, stack, excuse me, in a campaign? Is this complementary to anything that already exists or is it sort of adjacent? Well, uh, I can definitely see a world in which, you know, Motivo integrates with all the data that a campaign has and, you know, we're able to track, you know, how many times somebody's been contacted and, you know, use that data to then say, you know, these people are from targets of Motivo and that sort of thing. I don't know, maybe Jess has more to add about how they're working with other... No, jump in there, yeah. I'll jump into data. We are not an app. Oh, not an app. Okay, sorry, right. (laughs) Oh, did I say app? Yeah. Okay. Well, we are are a web app (laughs) and we are purposely not a mobile app that you need to download Mm. because we know that's a huge point of friction to getting Mm. people to engage. So, I didn't think about that. Yeah, yeah. so we you can access Motivote uh, through your web browser, and it's, and it's mobile-friendly, uh, but we also communicate our actions, so those are the bite-sized tasks that we have you do to get you ready to vote via SMS. So the idea is reach you where you are, and... Uh, to what Kevin said, we're, we are working now on integrations with other uh, political technologies in the space so that it fits into organizations' workflows and we're incentivizing and tracking all of those touch points, whether you're doing texting or whether you're looking at a ballot guide. Uh, we see our value of, of curating those resources and incentivizing the use of them with friendly competition, points and prizes, uh, but we're not building out, say, our own peer-to-peer texting tool exactly for that purpose because yeah. it, it already exists and we just want to get them in one place so it's a, a broader audience. I love it. Not reinventing the wheel, just sort of enhancing it and, like, you know, enhancing putting, the like, dubs <laughs> on it. Are dubs still a thing? Is that a thing? Am no, I off? I, okay, no one I'm knows like, what? what you're talking about. I'm far back. All right. <laughs> I, I had to, like, play myself and do an old moment. I feel like people do that on purpose. It's like they're, in, it's like they're trying to acknowledge their own. You know, like the bigger with 20-inch rims. No, what? that's what a dub is. No, <laughs> I think you just y'all never said that. I learned something today. <laughs> <laughs> that's it, right, that's what I mean. We, we intentionally like throw ourselves under the proverbial bus with dubs on I it. I thought you did it with how old you were when Al Gore was running. Oh yeah. Oh, I did, did I do that? Yeah. See, I feel like to I the regular listener, they were born yet. Where, oh yeah, what, whoa, whoa, what year whoa. was everybody born? Oh yeah, that's right. She's the old lady in the room. Anyway, we're not even get to when everyone was born. But um, <laughs> was I was actually maybe you. Oh, no, you I were, was born. I was born barely. Barely. Was born. Yeah. Shout out born. to two thousand. <laughs> two thousand. I was born in two thousand. I'm telling you, the year before that, we really partied as if it was nineteen ninety nine. We were all graduated <laughs> from high school. Um, so that said, um, we're going to fade away. I'm going to play a little bit of Lupe Fiasco because. I think he's the smartest rapper on the planet. Mm-hmm. Chicago. There we go. Right? Yeah. Midwest. Yeah, right. Midwest. <laughs> Midwest. <laughs> Come to New York. Nice. Um, <laughs> we'll be back next week, and, and this will be uploaded as a podcast at inclusionism.org, and we'll add some information on how to get in touch with Jess and Naomi and Elizabeth and Kevin and, and everyone else. And so until then, um, Turn we'll leave you with this. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Sir. <clears throat> uh, rectangle full of color, complicated man sits dedicated to the rudder. Under Apollo, overfilling under as a swallow when yet wallows. It said he looks for Yetis in tomorrow. And do good has become regretters for giving garbo at the Oshawa and Park Slope. Broken dancers rather flatten carbos than work at Arco 
flippers who feet feats riff contortionist hips and grease slippers tweezers release slivers from lines with deep splinters pause for sweet skippers another key figures of east rivers who eat liver and drink liquor and root for bird due to an unconscious urge to beat niggas who prefer sweets deep sleep and